0: Hi, and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt podcast brought to you today by our sponsors, Bridgestone Golf. And uh, special thanks to David Westwood. Um, thank you, David. It's uh, been a pleasure working with you for a number of years and uh, to have the support of Bridgestone Golf on the day that we talk about ball fitting. Um, brought on by a question. From Neil, the Scotsman in Texas. And kind of interestingly, that um, a Scotsman in uh, Vegas, um, in Nevada, uh, got the job done on our tour talk uh, topic today, which will be taken up largely by golf ball questions and answers. And of course, I'm not here on my own. I'm here with my wingman, good friend Gareth Shaw from Mediate. And, um, God, Gareth, did you put me through the paces on Friday? Um, <laughs> thanks it. for that. Mate. I, I, <laughs> yeah, well. I've had a trip to the chiropractor this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was a lot of golf balls. Um, I will, one little shout out. Um, it's a big shout out, actually, to the golf PT, uh, Ray Jaipman. He's been putting my body and my brain um specifically more to do with my body, Uh, through the paces over the last five weeks. You saw uh, some of the results of that, uh, Gareth, on Friday. But I can safely say that um, my ball speed, when the last time we checked it out and did it on a range, and I will say this now, out into a range in an open field, you will maximise your ball speed um, and club head speed. Period. You will not. And when you, you know, what's really, really impressive is when I watch Bryson DeChambeau hitting balls into a net inside, and he's hitting golf balls uh, with ball speed over two hundred mile an hour. Um, Spoiler alert: there are no two hundred mile an hour shots uh, in our either video or in our podcast uh, reports. But um, yeah, to do that in a net is unbelievably challenging. And um, to do it on the range, you'll probably find. Again, about 5% um, more out on a range ordinarily, which can equate to around about six or seven mile an hour um, for the average pro. Um, so the last time we were testing anything like ball speeds, driver speeds, et cetera, we had club head speed um, at 108, 109 average. So that's where we were at. And um, well, stepped up to the mark a little bit on Friday. Uh, After five weeks working with Ray and, um, you know, the the sort of Bryson DeChambeau sort of inspiration, you know, as as sort of uh, five weeks, five mile an hour, increasing club head speed in the driver. So um, it seemed a fitting time, excuse the pun, to do a ball fitting Um, (laughs) and brought on by the question from Neil, um, which was, Oh, crikey. Have you got it to hand there?
1: It was. Um, the context was about, should I look to change my board during the winter months? Yeah, exactly. And I know we know Neil in Texas that the, the, the winters aren't you know? anything like what they are in the UK. But it was just a, a real kind of poignant question for us. And we, we put it to test on Friday. Yeah, that's
0: it. Neil, the lightweight Scotsman, has to disappear <laughs> to, to Texas to get away from the Scottish winters. Um, yeah. But it's So basically, Neil's question, I have it in front of me. Um, Sorry, right, the phone had dropped off and uh to pull it back up so um so basically the question was do we need um do yeah basically do we need to be changing our golf ball during the winter now it's a question i used to ask you know as a kid when we had proper compressions on golf balls this was the great thing about it you know it's proper compressions on golf balls have gone you know compression used to um determine the hardness of the golf ball as it felt when you hit it so you know a hundred compression golf ball maybe somewhere between 90 and 100 and because the golf ball was wound um you know back in the day it had elastic windings a balata cover golf ball invariably had a um squishy ball in the middle of it it was a liquid filled ball and um That was the center. And then on top of that was a winding, which was a million miles long of elastic. And um, obviously, think about it, you're not getting a million miles into a golf ball. So, you know, take that hypothetically. All other numbers will be accurate. Um, But but ultimately, uh, the tighter the the golf ball was wound, in effect, the harder it felt. So you would have a 90 compression golf ball, which would be somewhere in the region of 85 to 90. Um, compression and compression was a number i don't quite remember how they did it but obviously there's some squeeze taking place over the golf ball and it resisted the golf ball's resistance basically determined where that golf ball sat now spoiler alert um i don't think anybody's any really surprised is that the closer to 100 you got generally the more that ball sort of lent itself towards the tour player allocation (sighs) So the golf ball that probably went a little bit further under tour player conditions are not just because of speed, because the golf ball was a little bit harder. It's a little bit closer to the compression number. Um, it basically meant though, that if you preferred a 90 or you liked a 90, you could actually use a uh, hundred golf ball and it would be somewhere between sort of 85 and, and 95 um, ordinarily, um, probably closer to the 90 mark, uh, 90, 95. However, This compression thing stirs the question that Neil asked us, which was regards to, is the golf ball, is it better to hit a softer or harder golf ball during the winter? And the school of thought ordinarily would be because of the colder air, you would take a harder hit to compress the golf ball the same amount. That's the first school. Second school would be that during the winter, you would also be utilising more clothing. Which basically then means that you've got um, a slower swing speed. So, all in all, it would suggest that you would go to a softer golf ball. So, that's the official stance from my conversation uh, with David uh, Westwood from Bridgestone last week. Now, that's a common thought and has been for as long as the days. Long and getting shorter because our light is changing. um, For those of us living in the northern hemisphere, so ultimately, as we move into winter, it gets colder. It's harder to compress the golf ball. It's also harder to generate the clubhead speed. So, on that note, (laughs) the answer to the question would always be that you would air on the side of a slightly softer golf ball. However, if you've been using a softer golf ball of um sorts. So let's just say we're getting, Gareth, you gonna have to remind me now. Pro v1, because they changed this a number of years ago. Well, say pro v1's a softer,
1: pro v1 X is the harder. Okay, supposedly. that was
0: my thoughts on it as well. So um X being the mm-hmm. harder ball. Um That's so it. if you were a Pro V1 X player and you were playing in the winter why not switch to the Pro V1 because of the reasons that we've just suggested so in other words if you're going to swing a little bit slower because you've got 30 layers on if the air temperature is significantly colder and the ground temperature subsequently colder plenty frosty conditions etc then by all means try the Pro V1 all right now On the flip side of that, of course, the ground conditions are also going to get a little bit softer. So if you are subject to getting a little bit more spin with your softer golf ball, then maybe a harder golf ball is the way to go. So it's not a definitive answer. And so Gareth and I scratched our heads and decided that Gareth would wimp out on this and not hit the golf balls and let me hit the golf balls how does the wedge fitting work and how does the driver fitting work? Because ultimately you're going to get two completely different sets of numbers. You're going to get wedge spin control elements, distance, does that change? Does the spin rate change? And obviously driver distance elements. So does that change? And of course, I've thrown a curveball into the mix by you know speeding up the body a little bit. So, in terms of winter and summer, I would say that probably when I get outside with a couple of extra layers on, we did get down to, you know, just purely and simply, um, you know, trousers were still worn and shirt sleeves, um, in the studio, cranking golf balls in a temperature around about 65 to 70, um, degrees Fahrenheit. We had GC quad to be able to measure the golf balls. And we put a number of golf balls to the test. Um, Bridgestone tour, of course, uh, was there because they offer a fitting platform. We were able to dial some numbers into there. I will say that we are waiting for our numbers, Bridgestone guys. Come on, let's have, that, have those numbers through. Um, it was late on Friday. So obviously with time zones, et cetera, we would anticipate they would come through early part of this week. Um, but essentially uh, the VFIT program from Bridgestone gives you an opportunity to put your swing and some numbers into the computer, and they will email you the uh, uh, the data. And then the recommendation, we kind of know where we're going with this anyway, because the numbers jumped out the screen and screamed at us. Uh, and we will sort of suggest what they are going forward. Um, so there's the teaser. That's going to come in a little while. But I think actually, I think it'd be fair to say that a bit of tour talk wouldn't go amiss at this point in time. We'll just break it up, tease you and we'll come back to the ball data in a little while. Gareth, what's your thoughts on the golf for the weekend?
1: I really enjoyed um, the, the BMW. I have just I think I really enjoyed it because for a bit of time pressured I was mm-hmm. this weekend, that the BBC had a great highlight oh, okay. package. So if people have still, have, still haven't caught the goal from the weekend, it, they did it the week before as well at the Scottish Open. It was 60 minutes, Saturday and Sunday, kind of wrapping up Thursday, Friday into Saturday on the Saturday mm-hmm. programme. And then the Sunday, it was wrapping up the Sunday coverage. I thought they did a great job. Because I didn't have time to see the kind of whole oh. coverage over the weekend, but they did. They did a great job at actually kind of wrapping up the coverage and still giving that anticipation. Because I was, I made a conscious effort yesterday not okay. to, to okay. see who the winner was. Fair so enough. You watch yeah, it. Fair it enough. Great. Yeah, I mean,
0: look, I I didn't even know about that to be honest with you. And obviously, you know, BBC is the terrestrial television here in the UK, and we've got the satellite television, which we'd ordinarily watch watching everything live. You know, in terms of sports, so. Um, so, so that's fine. You know, I don't generally watch terrestrial television. I very rarely watch any television. It's purely and simply golf. We sat there last night, <laughs> um, flick the TV on. We did watch the, the tail end of the golf because, oh, guess what? Formula One was on as well. Congratulations, Lewis Hamilton, for um, matching. I mean, crikey, couldn't have got it any better, really, could he? Matching Michael Schumacher's um, number of wins. Uh, in Germany, driving a German car with Michael Schumacher's son there to, you know, offer a, a, a more than just a token—one of Michael Schumacher's helmets, which had obviously been emblazoned with, um, you know, the, the record, um, you know, levelling information on it, and etc. So, you know, congratulations there. Um, to all at uh, with Lewis Hamilton, so I've been dipping in add to that. Look, I, I want to watch the golf as good as anybody, but you know I really like my Formula One, and you know I could just see myself going around the Nurburgring in a Formula One car, yeah, backwards or sideways or in the gravel pits probably. But um, you, you know, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the, the the boy in me still you know sees me riding around a, a racetrack at two hundred mile an hour. Um, but ultimately, you know, I watch the golf sort of dipping in and out. Um, And, you know, Wentworth for me in October, September, October is the right time for Wentworth to host a golf tournament. Always has been. You know, I used to moan and complain. You know, I was very privileged to be on the putting green during the tournament week, you know, helping some players out, you know, my regular players um, inside those white picket fence. Uh, And it was an absolute privilege to be, you, you know, at the iconic Wentworth. But the greens were never great you know it, it, bank holiday weekend in May last weekend in May the greens the greens were just you know they were not great at all and they they all got reconstructed and subsequently they improved dramatically um, but you know to be fair in May they were okay but I always thought that they were about six weeks too early to really host the tournament of that magnitude and you know a couple of years ago they switched to a September event and I think you know it's just been fantastic this year moving it back into October of course those of you that will be old enough to remember Suntory World match play um you know was the thing we used to watch you know Seve back in the day and Lyle and Faldo and Lango and you know Crocky even um Seve playing against um Arnold Palmer which went to a playoff you know after 38 holes I think um Seve nipped it but um and I think he had, to, if I remember rightly, had to eagle the last in order to get in, get that to go to extra holes. I mean, that's just ridiculous when you think back. But, but you know, to have that event or an event at Wentworth back at this time of the year, when the the the, the colour of of the um, of all the flora and fauna, and the just the quality of the golf course was just fantastic. And of course, the quality of the golf. I mean, you know, you can't say any any better than that. Not without its controversy, of course. Um,
1: what was your thoughts on the hoodies, Gareth? Oh, I'm, I'm really torn on this. The modern golfer inside me says, wear something comfortable. If it's warm on a winter's day, brilliant, fine. The kind of golf conformity says, a little bit. I used to always get this question when I worked at England Golf and, and I my answer was that golf's got a uniform like if you went to play five-a-side football or for a cricket match, there's a certain uniform to it. So I think on the golf course, wear that kind of uniform, the usual trousers, slacks, chinos, whatever you wear, and, and something on top. So I'm not really that bothered, but if it gets more people interested, and I've seen from a lot of retail sites this morning, yes, that they've actually sold yeah. out of the hoodies. Gal- Galvin yeah. Green, Adidas, Nike, they were all sold out of out yes. of, of hooded tops um, that maybe what Tyrrell inspired. And I know um, a couple of other players were wearing them. I know Tony Tooney um Xander Shoffler wore, yeah. wore a couple of weeks ago, same with Justin Thomas, with Ralph Lauren. So for me, I, I think it's a good move. It shows that, again, for this new generation of golfer moving forward, it's, it's all about accessibility for me. And if people see golf and see that that person looks like me, great brilliant more people into the game or making it as as fruitful as possible going forward and if it gets golf on the front pages talking points brilliant more more the merrier but i'm torn i'm torn i don't know if i'd wear one on the golf course i'd definitely Mm -hmm. wear one at the range to practice in but i I, I don't know about you andy but i'd maybe be put off like getting in the way flapping around a little bit
0: have you worn one at the range
1: I can't remember the last so time I did. Have, to be honest, I think you have.
0: Yeah, I think I have, I, mean, yeah. I wish I wish we had the opportunity to actually film this because when you came out with two two angles on this, I've just sat here with my mouth mm. jaw dropped, going like, I can't believe that you're going to sit on tradition fence here, all right And I'm uh, listening to what you're saying. I think you did sit on the fence a little bit. Um, but I kind of expected that as well, you know, once you got going. But f- for me, the big deal here is that, um, you know, as long as it's a golf attire, and, and this is the bit that I struggle with because obviously golf attire is more expensive. So Nike will come out with something, Adidas will come out with something, call it a golf label, it'd be, you know, so sort of 30% more minimum. Or if it's a golf brand, then it's going to be 200% more than a, you know, sort of off the shelf hoodie, but at the same time, an off the shelf hoodie's got the Nike emblazoned or the big Adidas logo. And, you know, look, I'm not bothered about sort of shouting out the labels here. Um, they're just what they are and they kind of look a little bit street. And that's what I am against. I mm. don't want the game of golf to think that it can, it has to encourage street onto the golf course. That's not what I'm about. But when it comes to street wear with golf credibility, that hoodie, that Adidas hoodie, bang on. Absolutely amazing. I mean, guys, what a phenomenal look. You know, you know, I've been wearing a, a Galvin. Um, you know, I've got Lyle and Scott hoodies. It, you know, but I've been wearing my Galvin hoodie down the range and down the gym because it looks good and it feels good and it keeps me warm. And that hood doesn't get in the way, you know. Um, I don't. I don't even notice it's there when I'm swinging the golf club at 114 mile an hour. I'm not worried about something flapping around behind me because um, I don't know it's there. It it stays pretty still, to be fair. Um, you know, so you know, it's got to look like golf attire for me, and you know, in the Adidas, you know, a sweatshirt back in the day. I remember. Um, you know, sort of a, a, an infamous round of golf or two rounds of golf that I played um, at, at Baston Golf Club here in the heart of the Midlands and uh, the middle of Birmingham. Actually, for those of you that don't know it. Um, it, you know, I turned up in 1994 with a sweatshirt, which was my golf uniform, at the range where I worked, the um, John Ray Golf Centre, and it had our company logo on it. It wasn't the smallest company logo. I think it was about the size of an A4 piece of paper. Um, It was fully emblazoned across the front. And the reason why I wore it wasn't because I wanted to create a bit of controversy much, Um, but actually because it was golf attire, albeit it was a sweatshirt, which wasn't normal golf attire at the time, but it was 94. Think back 91, if I remember rightly, Hugo Boss, bright color, white sh- white sweatshirt. Bernard Langer walking down the fairway. At um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think now. Was it '93? Maybe. Um, Greg Norman, big bright colored shirts. You know, with his Reeboks. Uh, you know, we were starting to see the influx of different materials and different and, and different clothing on the golf course. And there was a you know a bit of a ooh hoo ha about the size of a logo. You know, well for me that wasn't a big deal this was a big logo and trust me you couldn't not see it but it was cold the reason why i needed to have it on was because it was cold i didn't own a sweater you know i was you know i can't really mm-hmm. use the term allergic to lambswell those of you that don't like lambswell will know exactly the reason why you're allergic to lambswell because you know you end up like you might as well have put a bag of wool um a sandpaper on but you know i mean literally back in the day before merino and you know so sort of like the ford cashmere's it <laughs> You know ultimately, you know wool became soft for us to be able to wear. you know a sweatshirt kept me warm, and that's the reason why I did it now, Of course, the pool was the logo they asked me to buy something from the shop i said well I'm, one i 'm not going to buy it two it's got an edge baston logo on it, which isn't my club, and three um it ain't going to keep me warm if it's stuck in my bag because I can 't wear it, and he hadn't got any cotton or anything else, and literally that's why I was wearing my sweatshirt so you know, flip that now right 25, 26 years later, we're having conversations about um, you know clothing and ultimately you know, bring it on. let's let's see the status quo change because the guy who asked me to wear something else was wearing a faded 1984 black watch, ProQuip waterproof suit, right? Neil the Scotsman will remember this one. All right. But those of you of a certain age will also remember. It, it was faded in 1994. I bet he's still wearing it now. Because there are so many mm-hmm. people who are out there going, oh, but golf attire. It lost its waterproof capabilities about you know 14 years, you know, <laughs> 25 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe. It was born, you know, he had it in 1984. That was the line that came out in 1984. Like, he was still wearing it 10 years later. It had stopped being waterproof, but it was also faded because of the being out in the daylight. It had lost its colour as well. But these things, I still see them on the range today. Oh, but it's golf attire. They, you know, get like, if you're going to make a call on golf attire, you know, oh, crikey, I'm getting off on one there. then make a call on it's got to be current. <laughs> you know, we can't have stuff that he's 40 years old and still call it golf attire. Now, one stance I will stand on, and I'll stand on it, sit on it, and I'll shout about it. I'll put the podium out and I'll shout no jeans on a golf course. Absolutely. Absolutely no jeans you. on a golf I'm, I'm course. Not the place. Now, at the same token, no faded golf trousers either from the 1980s match play range. You know, with all due respect, I mean, you're too young to remember what they are, right? But all due respect, you do not need to be wearing clothing that is just because it's a golf trouser that's 14 sizes too small, right? And your belly fits over the top of it and you think you can still get in it just because it's a golf trouser and you can't be bothered to go and buy some new ones. And at the same token, don't have to go and buy golf trousers right as long as like you said you mentioned the genos there's plenty of stuff out there that will look smart enough on the golf course but absolutely no sportswear i don't consider a hoodie to be a sportswear if it's a golf brand and it's a golf line right so end of right let's move on (laughs) but but i love it you know and (laughs) and the guys have sported it really really well you know, you know, and they do look good. I mean, i got to be honest with you. I mean, I think Tony Finau's look is a little bit ragged. But, you know, he can he can start it out. It looks fine, you know. But I thought, I do think, you know, dot, dot the cap to the Adidas line. Guys, girls, whoever's designing it, I thought they have done a fantastic job. And it really does look the part. And, you know, hey, that's just a neck warmer as well. So, you <laughs> know, I mean, it, looks the part. And, you know, first week out, boom. It's the winning shot all over, um, but, you know. I think Adidas done a really good job there. So uh, you know, yeah, big E for me. Let Let's start wearing stuff that you know that that is a little bit more cool, all right? But not with the big logos saying whatever it needs to say. You know, let it be a bit more subtle. You know, it's not a problem having the regular size logos that you normally have, um, or you know, sort of if it is a bigger logo that it's you know, in keeping with the colour, so it might be a black on black, but, you know, so you can't, it doesn't, it's not overly obvious. We can make some very stylish stuff these days, and I think, you know, they can do a fantastic job and it looks cool.
1: What are your thoughts then, Andy, on the the LPGA tour, and I saw it this weekend. I don't know if you've had a chance to see, it, but Daniel Kang wearing like um, yoga you pants got or leggings. To, able to
0: carry it off, mate, you haven't, but um... <laughs> um, I haven't. I did not think it, I can pull them off. Look, yeah. Again, I, I mean, the, the the challenge here is that you know, and I'm not going to sit on the on the fence of sexist, you know, on this one. You know, there are some ladies, generally speaking, who would rather not see them on the golf course and they would rather not wear them themselves, right? For whatever reason, right, that's entirely up to the individual, right? But if you've got, you know, the figures to carry anything off, male or female, for that matter, you know, then certain clothing, you know, mm-hmm. tight-fitted shirts are not going to look great on John Daly, right? As well as they're going to look on, you know, Tiger or, you know, sort of the athletes that we've got out there today. Okay. So, you know, we've got to be very mindful. And because of that, that's why you have people designing clothing to suit the, you know, the requirement of that body. You know, so a regular fit, albeit in an extra large, is going to look far better on John Daly than a tight fit, you know, compressional extra large because you know john by his own admission would admit that he hasn't got the body of an athlete the fact that he can move it athletically is you know is you know goes against the goads a little bit but actually you know so male or female it doesn't for me it doesn't matter and and from a point of view of you know the girls that that sport the you know leggings um and ultimately the leggings without a skirt over the top or a skirt, or whatever it is that they wear, um, you, you know, I mean, if they look good in it and feel good in it, it what's the difference between sort of the yoga pant, you know, and, uh, you, you know, a sort of a, a, a next to the skin trouser, to be fair, you, you know, a, 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 uh, not compressional. I mean, because that's really what it is. And what's the difference between compressional leggings and compressional um, tops? Well, you know, if the, if the girls are comfortable enough and, you know, and I'm trying to be politically correct in all my words here. But, you know, if they feel that they're comfortable enough in that, and yes, it does reveal the figure. Right. And, you know, and I think anybody would be mindful of how they look in something will determine what they want to wear. I mean, you know, say Charlie Hull. Doesn't seem to matter, Charlie. Summer, winter, you know, cold or or you know, baking hot. She's always in shorts. I think I've ever seen and Charlie. And you know, when I was coach, you know, I did never ever saw Charlie in anything other than shorts. <laughs> it's just what she preferred to wear. To fine. I think she had a pair of leggings over, you know, waterproof leggings over the top the, she came the during the winter to start with, mm-hmm. but just the first to wear shorts. So, so it's not a big deal for me, it's not a big deal. And I think if the, yeah. you know, and again, if this is attracting a younger crowd, you know, younger audience to start and a younger participation to the sport, we've got to embrace it. I don't want the LPGA and the R yeah. and the USGA, PGA Tour and all the other governing bodies. Moaning and whinging about the fact that, you know, girls can't wear this clothing and that clothing, you know, and you can't wear that hoodie and this hoodie. Look, you know, get on with it or let the game, walk away from the game and let us get on with it. All right. If, if that's my one stance. All right? Or embrace the change and embrace the new looks that are coming. All right? And let the game grow the way that we want it to grow, because we've been complaining of, of, of a lack of participation you know, we've seen a massive influx during the coronavirus pandemic across the world. More and more people are playing golf. Let's embrace it. Let's embrace golfers. Let's embrace family opportunities to come together. It's a ridiculous amount of time that we take away from our family when we go and play golf. So go, let's get our families involved on the golf course, you know, and let that, let that happen. So, um, yeah, so when it comes down to it, look, you know, I mean, I've let sort of, you know, sort of uh, apparel get in the way of, of fantastic golf. There's been incredible golf played over this weekend. Um, you know, we flicked on the, the golf last night, well, we flicked on the TV again, and it comes back on golf automatically these days. I think the TV knows that, you know, it's all we watch. Um, but the, you know, and Becky's sat here, you know, yesterday She said, I didn't really want to sit and watch golf, but he's addictive, isn't he? <laughs> what do you mean? And we've just watched Bryson DeChambeau drive a par four with an iron and not the put-in for an eagle. She said, I can't not watch that. <laughs>
1: yeah, that,
0: that's phenomenal, all right? just, you know, my wife watching, you know, a, a guy cranking a golf ball 300 yards with an iron. Oh, it's a, look, I'm just as addicted to it. Um, shout out to Martin Laird, you know, fantastic win. I didn't watch it Um I will catch the highlights later on during the day. I didn't watch it live because it was a bit late um, for, for us. But ultimately, um, you know, great win, you know, good playoff victory over, you know, some quality golfers. And, and you know, well and truly deserved a great up and down or great save, par save at 17. I do know that. Um
1: did you see that bunker shot? I didn't candy? see the bunker shot. Just, I just saw wow. the fact
0: that, you know, he'd saved par and, you know, was was just, yeah. Well, hats off, you know. Um, you know, and players have to dig deep, you know, to to win. And, you know, clearly he did that. And, um, you know, subsequently got into the playoff and, of course, got the job done in the playoff. So, congrats. Well done. Um, you know, it comes down to it. Some phenomenal golf played on the ladies, on the LPGA as well. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, re- Ridiculous scoring on an incredibly difficult golf course. Um, I think it's a five-shot victory, was it? Um, I mean, sixty-three on yeah, on, 63 on a major, That's phenomenal. The course was tough. You know, it's, it was as if Se um, Young Kim didn't get the memo of <laughs> just how difficult the course was. Um, but she uh, lights. I mean, you know, what well, was twenty-nine on the. On the front nine or something was it on the uh, on on Friday, uh, and then carried on, you, you know on Saturday, and it's just, she never took the foot off the pedal. So yeah, clearly the course is to a liking, you know, and sometimes you just get a player do that and for her to win her first. I mean, look, Rory did the same thing, didn't they? Tiger did the same thing. You know they started winning their majors and then boom, you know, they start winning them by by big numbers. and um I'm pretty sure that Inby Park, if she'd have been asked, do you think nine under at the start of the week will be good enough to win with the two? And I said, Oh yeah. <laughs> and we'd have taken it. So, um, it, you know, great, great goal from her as well. So yeah, it's, um, it, you know, phenomenal, but uh, you know, just back to the PGA back to, uh, to all happen you know, we fantastic, you know, boyhood dreams to, you know, sort of boyhood goal, you know, um, yeah, that was my dream. That was now. It's my goal. And you know, I'm a man. You know, thirty, twenty nine, thirty, twenty, twenty five years later, he's he's achieved his mm-hmm. dream. And you know, he's he's becoming a very prolific golfer. And um, you know, I I I like him. I think he's you know refreshing. And it's great to see that we have got a crop of young players who will drag each other along a little bit, like you know, Seve dragged Europe into. You know, in, into the modern era, and you know we had Langer and Lyle and, and Faldo and and Woozy and you know all of a sudden, you know we've got this plethora of European major champion winners, and you know I think that will happen, you know, with the guys, you know Tommy Fleetwood, uh, you know uh, Tommy's, you know sh- shortcomings on the putting greens are, uh, are relatively short lived, um, but um, yeah. Solly, I mean, yeah. Solly
1: again. Solly played well, Andy. I yeah, thought he was going to. He's a crazy closer, number. Closer, closer number,
0: didn't he? And, you know, kind of just stall a little bit. But yeah, you know, it's difficult to keep it going. It really is. And Wentworth is one swing away from from a telephone number, you know, because it's so tight. You know, I mean, I I remember going to the tournaments, you know, sort of inside the ropes, and the and the the way we got into the into the golf course was across the fifteenth fairway, and I remember parking my car the one day and walking back to the tee. And still on the tee, I've not not played Wentworth, but still on the tee, and thought, right, this isn't a funnel, this is a straw. (laughs) It is ridiculously tight off that tee. Now, of course, it's tight for somebody who tends to spray it around a little bit, but you know, I mean, these guys are hitting it a heck of a long way and it's tight. And then they throw a few bunkers in, you know, there's water hazards, there's out of bounds, there's all sorts of stuff you know, all over, you know, that golf course. And, you know, I think 15 is predominantly the tightest hole on the course. But, of course, you know, it's easy to hit it out of bounds. We've seen how many players had over the years hit it out of bounds at number uh, number 17 and number 16. You know, it's, it's so, you know, it's just one of those golf courses that you've got to play well. So 19 under par, was it? I think, um, uh, you know, it was won by... Phenomenal goal mm. and, you know, just shows you, you know, how well the course played. And, you know, there was some there was some good runs and, and players, you know, sort of having a little pop and getting off to a flying start and just very rock steady golf. You know, four rounds of golf in the 60s um, to completely deserve to win it. So, um, yeah, hats off there. Good to see Polts back up there as well. You know, a lot of good things sort of happening and um, yeah, he threw a nice yeah. little statement out last night. Uh, about reducing or, or limiting the amount of loft on a driver. I um, don't know if you saw that, but he came out with. it. I think he would had a drink. Um, he found his tongue. Um, I, I thought it was a great post, actually, to be fair, and you know, I, 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 heartfelt and, and honest. And I think you know, if, the more spin you have on a driver, the more uh, effectively, the more launch loft you'll have. And the more spin, the less distance. So if you can reduce the um, or keep reducing the loft as players are and increase the attack angle, so it goes up then you can reduce the spin. And I was taught that uh, by some two guys, Mark Lynn and um, oh, my word. um, Mr. Adams, can't remember his last name now. Forgive me. Um, But um, yeah these guys who taught me how to hit the golf ball a long way, many, many moons ago, Um, the attack angle is everything. So the more you can swing up on it and the more you hit on the top of the club, the more you reduce the spin. And, you know, that's one of the things that helps hit the golf ball a long way. Um, They were using seven and a half degree drivers that have been cranked um, with tailor-made drivers. And, you know, I was using a nine degree driver and then started to understand a little bit more about it. And, you know, they showed me how to hit, Drives of, you know, 350, 360 yards, but they could do it with irons as well. And that was the crazy thing. You know, I hit a driver and a wedge to a par four and um, Mark, Rick Adams. Um, Mark hit a four iron onto the par four, drove the par four, 399 yards, I think. It was just under 400 yards. He did it to the back of the green, but the pin was on the front. So he then proceeded to pit and to putt down the slope and off the green, and then I had uh, a three and he had a six. Um, so it's not all about distance, is it? Um,
1: Do you think that's part of the debate? Because I know it's very contentious. We're not talking, talking balls ball today. That's perfect, a perfect, major topic and, for you know, people so, like Jack Nicklaus. Yeah, golf um, yeah, <laughs> balls. <yeah. laughs> Like Nicholas says, they should limit the ball, the the, the distance the golf ball goes, and oh, then the see. equipment we're, we're to argument. The to Where do you sit, Andy? And
0: um, again, a special thanks to Bridgestone for that. But um, yeah, when I when it comes to the golf ball, here's the here's the thing: the golf ball testing equipment is exactly the same as it was back in 1980. As far as I am aware, nothing has changed. The golf ball is fired against a solid metal surface and the return rate is measured. If the golf ball exceeds 250 feet per second, then the golf ball will um, be deemed to be uh, non-conforming. It will travel too far. Now, ultimately, um, the, the, the distance of a golf ball Uh, sorry, the tolerance of building a golf ball back in 1980 was much more difficult to control when we were using elastic windings, which is why golf balls were tested and those that were tested. If the batch number, I think if the batch number was more than 6%, the batch got um, scrapped and they had X stamps on them or, you know, the, the Dunlop 65s turned into Warwick's. And you'd always find a Warwick golf ball at the end of the practice ground when you have been hitting a batch of practice balls because it was a hot ball. It flew further because it was it came off the club face faster. Now, you know, what then happened was, you know, Spalding Molitor came out with a golf ball that they could make and actually get much closer to the 250 feet tolerance. So ultimately what was going on was that golf balls were basically being built somewhere around about the 230, 235 feet per second. And uh, obviously there's a massive fall off. So, you know, if you think about the numbers there, um, the golf balls in the air for a certain period of time, but the distance, the speed, the ball comes off the club face diminishes very quickly. So it's 250 feet per second in the first instance. So then it slows down quite dramatically. It still hurts if it hits you just for the record. Um, but ultimately, that slowdown rate and that distance build tolerance was 20 to 15 to 20 feet per second less. And then they're hitting the golf ball in the air for longer now. So you get a double whammy on that. So, so now we're building golf balls. The hot balls are normal balls, right? And they still can spin them and control them. So the tour player ball would come off the club face at 235 feet per second. But he gave you an an edge of spin and control. And the more spin, as I just said, the more spin, less distance. But the player was able to generate more speed. So he was able to get the ball in the air for a little bit longer. So it carried a little bit further. But ultimately, those calculuses now gone through the window when we're able to spin the harder golf ball. So ultimately, you know, the bifurcation principles of having a tour ball like they did in tennis a number of years ago, um, means that you can dial that number back to whatever you want, so you could pull that golf ball back to say two two five. And yes, it would cost the manufacturer some money, and it would cost R and D. You know, going forward, are they making enough money to be able to do it? I think if you'd have asked the question twelve months ago, we'd have probably been able to say, yeah, they are. But now, I think everybody's been affected by the the, the recent times, and so. It's maybe not the time to do something like pull the ball back. But if we do, if we limit the loft on a driver, so you get the measured loft on a driver, let's just say for argument's sake it's nine degrees, that number, and you can't have anything less than nine degrees, the harder you hit it, the more spin you put on. So yes, all the tour players will be using nine-degree drivers, but what actually happens is the harder you hit the golf ball, the more spin you get. So actually you may fly the golf ball a bit further, but it won't run as far. So you can, you can level the playing field a little bit. If you limit that spin or you increase the spin, if you hit it harder. So if you get a guy who's hitting the golf ball harder because he's able to generate a faster club head speed because he lengthens the club because he reduces the loft then, to counter that, he can hit the golf ball further. You add the loft back and he can't hit the ball further because he increases the spin. So he might carry it a little bit further, but he won't necessarily roll out any further because he's got too much spin on it. And ultimately, it will stall in the, in the the um, into the wind because he's got too much spin on it. Or golfers will have to learn to hit it softer into the wind. So it's a way of being able to level the playing field a little bit. And actually, you know what? I don't know what all the science is on it, but, you know, I think, I think there's a huge amount of merit to that. Let's just make the least lofty club in the bag of putter. Right. And everything else has to be more than 10 degrees. Now affect me as well, to be honest with you, because I mean, I'm using the driver that's got 10 and a half degrees of loft on it, but actually I de-loft it um, because it's got the ability to be able to do that. So, you know, and it's, I think it goes down to about nine degrees or something like that. I think it goes down to one and a half degrees. So, you know, that would take me down to nine. I think nine's perfectly acceptable. But, you know, if, if the manufacturers turn around and were told by the RNA and USGA that the maximum amount of loft, measured loft on the club and it's positioned flat on the ground, you know, was, uh, was, was had to be at least nine degrees aloft. Yeah. yeah, I think that would, that would level the playing field. So...
1: Definitely yeah, when, when Bryson's got one, I mean, two, I mean, you know, five we've and a half degrees. We've done that for a long
0: time. I mean, the biggest challenge <laughs> of all, and this is the bit for, for me with Bryson, is, is side spin. The less loft, the more side spin. And the more the club face is relevant, you have to square the club face up. You know, we know with the putter, that if the face isn't square, ultimately you end up with a club face that's going to affect the golf ball. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what the path's doing when 90% of the golf ball at, you know, two degrees are loft. You know, one to two degrees of is going to see 80 to 95% of golf ball, uh, golf ball um, direction governed by the face angle of the club. So, you know, get your club face square, you know, first and foremost. But if you don't match the path in the club face, you get masses of side spin. And so that's a skill in its own right. So a player who's going to use, I mean, look, you know, Bryson had it all over the park on Saturday. We saw, you know, I did watch some of that and it was just like, whoa, what's just happened here? You know, as a guy literally can't keep it on the park. Well, those days are going to happen when you've got five degrees, you know, so the guys will hit it straighter. So, you know, where's now the premium? The premium is, well, you know, straighter. is not, it's not going to be as far. Now you can tuck in your fairways a little bit. You can tuck in your, your fairway bunkers. You can make the golf courses more playable because you, the guys can't carry the golf ball as far. You can only carry the golf ball as far if you can launch it in a certain way. So, you know, and again, being able to apply all the factors that go with it. As we know, if you reduce the loft or change the loft factors or change the path factors on TrackMan, you can go in and dial in these numbers, change it, you can get optimization. So with a certain clubhead speed, you can change the launch angle, you know, launch loft or launch um, attack and optimise the numbers. You can see what happens if you were to change those parameters. But if you, you know, had a limit on the amount of loft on a club, you know, I think it would dial the ball back very, very quickly. Um, you will know, always have a freak in there, you know, always have somebody who can produce a certain amount of topspin, you know, or, or effective lesser spin and flatter flight. And you can't put topspin on an elevated golf ball, remember that. So you have to produce backspin to get it in the air. But it, you know, so it feels like you're actually able to loop the golf ball a little bit, you know, so it flies flatter and carries a bit further, which is what Bryson's doing. But it's the configuration.
1: And what I well, saw from you on Friday—that was the—that was the really I, cool yes. thing. I mean, you were you it. hitting it really well. well. I sound
0: like I can blow my own trumpet, but you know, um, the answer to the statement is yes. I was hitting the golf ball well, and you know, I'm hitting the golf ball well largely because I can hit more mm. golf balls because I've got a body that stands up to it. Albeit I'm aching today and I have been to the chiropractor. Um, but the reason for doing that was, you know, because I've got a problem. As I think I mentioned last week, I um, was diagnosed with scoliosis, which is a mild curvature to the spine. And, you know, my PT felt that, you know, ultimately we could get that with, you know, could get some of that straightened out. Well, the images that I could show you will definitely suggest that within five weeks, the straightening process is very evident. So, you know, so that encourages me. Um, so does the fact that I've lost Three and a half kilos, about half a stone in weight, um, but put on bulk mass um, as well. And subsequently, I'm um, swinging the golf club quicker. Um, and yeah, I'm aching today because I hit sixty plus golf balls with a driver over a hundred and ten mile an hour. So you know that's not been done in a long, long time. In fact, I was able to do it, and I was feeling a little bit tender on Friday. I pushed it a little bit harder than maybe I should have done, but you know your time is so precious and so expensive, Gareth. I had to push through and, you know, um, yeah, this guy's hourly rate is ridiculous, guys. If you think I charge a lot for putting lessons, it's, yeah, to spend an hour with Gareth or two is, uh, you know, it's one of those things. But, yeah, we got some ridiculously good and exciting data. Um, so, I mean, let's dive in. You know, we had a... Um, do you want to
1: shout a few of those numbers out, Dara? So Just to give everybody a little bit of context, what we did on Friday is we had lots of golf balls. We looked at the Bridgestone range of golf balls from the the Tour BXS, RX RXS. And what Andy did is he had lots of golf balls with each one of those golf balls. And then what we decided was which ball was kind of the best for Andy and the condition that he was in and how he was hitting it. So, Andy, do you want to share a few of the numbers that we got comparing in particular the Bridgestone Tour XS and the Tour BX?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, just so that, you know, we kept everything fairly even. We had um, we had a Swixon ball in there as well. We had a tightest ball. We had an unnamed ball, which is down to... Uh, connection for Gareth they asked for some uh, asked for us to do a specific test which is what really triggered everything off and of course there's no point in trying one ball um, you know we figured we'd go at it so there were around about half a dozen balls with each driver and about similar sort of number five or six balls with with a 46 degree pitching wedge um, so that the numbers will you know will feed back from there so um, as you know the, you know if it's good enough for Tiger, it's good enough for me has been my statement now for as long as I can remember. Bridgestone Tour BXS has been in my bag and the tour data on that for me uh, has been, you know, pretty solid, 159, 160 mile an hour ball speed has been about my sort of number now for for a little while Uh, to be fair ball speed has been down a touch you know because i was only generating uh 100 and sort of 809 mile an hour say only i have been used to over 120 so you know for me 108 is only Um, the, the new body is helping to improve things and the numbers are out and sort of just under 115 mile an hour now, so like I say, around about a five, six mile an hour improvement for me in the last five or six weeks. Um, but, um, and of course, is indoor conditions. Um, so two and a half, two, six, just a little over two, six uh, in backspin on the tour BS, uh, BXS. Um, so just back one, five, nine on average, uh, one, five, nine for ball speed, um, two, six, six, zero for backspin. Side spin was you know, quite high for me uh, on that. Got a little bit of draw spin going on. I was trying to hit the golf ball hard, was trying to get it. Um, but, you know, centre strikes, a uh, majority of them were pretty good. Uh, 8.25 on the side spin, so a little bit on the high side f- for me um, with the driver. All measured with GC quad, remember. And the carry total, or carry distance, 2.68. Um, averaging out, uh, if I recall, Gareth, around about 15 to
1: 18 yeah, yards on. of
0: roll. Um, tour BXS on pitching wedge, ball speed at 96. Um, I think my average clubhead speed on the pitching wedge was about 83, 84 mile an hour. Um, Backspin averaging at 8.3 with some. Kind of crazy side spin numbers in there as well, which is kind of just under a thousand, which wasn't great. Um, I generally will hit it a little bit straighter than that. But again, they were average based on, you know, the shots that I hit. So there was no, nothing, none of the bad shots taken out uh, with a carry distance of 126, which is exactly what I would hit. It's my 125 club. It's straight to, you know, I've got nothing, uh, you know, to, to worry about that. You know, I've got nine 99 goes one three eight and you know so yeah i was comfortable with those sorts of numbers seeing those on the screen except for the side spin um generally speaking won't see a ball uh, ball speed with a wedge getting up into the you know into the hundred it's just not where i'm at however tour bx driver data ball speed 162 again these are averages 162 we did see a couple a little bit more than that um but on average 162 um Backspin two six zero two, so you know sixty on average sixty lower. There were a couple of shots in there that I cut. I hit a little bit of fade on them, and interestingly, uh, I, that will that will affect two things. Of course, it will affect the um, side spin rate. It will also affect the backspin rate. Backspin, I I did have most of the backspin kicking in from me around about the two three. That was observations. Um, There were a couple of these that were jumped up around 2.8 and 2.9 because of the backspin caused by the the, the cut, the sort of left to right flight. Um, However, it'll also affect carry average. So the carry average moved from the excess at 2.68 to 2.81. Now that tells me that I'm not playing the right ball, providing that I also get a good level of control with a wedge. I'm sacrificing 13 yards using the the golf ball that's good enough for Tiger. Now, I know Tiger sacrifices a few yards as well, but he prefers the feel of the excess, and that's what I was going off. I'll be perfectly honest with you. You know, Was I persuaded by Tiger's stance on this? Yes, to some degree I was, but I've always been on the Pro-V side of Pro-V1. It'll be a V1, not an X, um, the softer version. You know, So I've always played the softer version because I always prefer enough spin. I never felt that I spun the golf ball, I tend to flatten the flight a little bit. and My descent angle's a little bit less steep than I would like. And so I never feel I get as good enough control with the longer clubs going into the greens. You know, six irons, five irons, four irons, whatever, coming in a little bit flat. Always enough control on the wedges because of the way that I flight the shots. But because I don't practice and play as much, you know, that mid-range irons, You know, I needed a slightly better descent angle. However, I am definitely, if it's good enough for Bryson, good enough for Andy G. Um, Because 13 yards is a whole club down the fairway. And that's a heck of a lot to be giving up for me going into the green. Especially as maybe I can find half a club with a wedge. And if I can find half a club with a wedge and still have good spin, then maybe... You know, I'm one and a half clubs less into the greens, maybe even two clubs as the club gets a little bit longer. Who knows what that's going to do for me in terms of scores. And again, that's Friday. We haven't tested it yet. We're going to give it a go. The wedge data was particularly impressive. Stepped up from 96, mile well, an hour ball speed, to 98. Backspin, very, very similar. There was literally less than 100 rev spin difference slightly less eight two 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 as against eight three three zero so negligibly 90 difference and certainly nothing for me to worry about in terms of being able to control it especially this time of the year remember this time of the year you know able to control you know the land and it's not going to zip back quite as far um, side spin also for me this was the biggie all right, so the side spin um, on that wedge down to one, two, five, which now means I have complete control over the flight of the shot. Far more important than anything to do with the next number, which is the distance. But I'm half a club further with the distance as well. So average carry distance now, one, three, two. So with the same swing, same club head speeds, same angle of attack, to all the data that we were collecting during the session as well, um, you know, which is is relevant to us because we want to make sure that we're replicating that data. Um, you know, I'm not a robot, but I'm fairly able to repeat quite well with the wedges, as you would expect, um, being the expert of wedges. Um, you know, I practice what I preach and I practice it a lot. So wedge shots, I can control the angle of attack, control the loft at the point of impact, carry distance seven yards further So if you think I'm going to give two shots and 20 yards up, um, you must think I'm mad. And if you think that, you know, when you look at the data now uh, and the conversations that I had with uh, Bridgestone uh, and with uh, David afterwards, actually Saturday morning, he called me back um, when he was intrigued by what we were doing. Um, And we did this off our own back. Bridgestone have now gotten on the back of this and have agreed to sponsor the show. But ultimately um they said that the tour players are playing are gaming the x um in the men both seniors and because their club head speeds are sufficiently high enough so um it's only tiger that's really using the XS, and you know maybe one or two of the girls um you know most of the guys are using the x so you know was not surprised to see and hear my data numbers um with what i could recall uh interestingly you know i mean gareth you've got the data there for the um uh for the for the other golf balls but you know it's not going to persuade me to play another golf ball they were very comparable um you know in terms of overall data within a yard or two in terms of distance and spin rates numbers were very very similar there isn't a huge amount to be going on you know on with or you know sort of changing things for the sake of changing things, uh, you know, they're very comparable golf balls. And I think you'll find this amongst the, and across the board that a premium ball is a premium ball, but to dial yourself in and to pr- try some of the, you know, the range, whether it be an X or an XS or a, a one and a, you know, a one X, it, whatever it might be, you know, there's plenty of other golf balls out there. Give them a try and see what performs best for you. Ball fitting is available something that we offer something i've offered i'm not shouted about it but using the v um the v app the v fix app from bridgestone gives me an opportunity to be able to help you to make it an informed choice as to why a golf ball should be in your bag versus another one and you know we can do this kind of test if you want to take your game to the next level this is something that you really need to be doing it's not just a case of dialing in the right amount of loft you know spin rates and everything else all these things you know, but also determine what have you got in your bag? And we've talked about it before in terms of shafts and, you know, shaft weights and shaft flex, all those type of things are going to determine lots of variables. But dialing in your golf ball could actually mean that you're able to hit the golf ball a bit further down the fairway. And that could be something as well as controlling the spin, which means you hit it straighter, could maybe something that helps you to lower your scores without even changing anything else. And that could be worth several shots around. And if that's not worth a try, without going to get a golf lesson, without going to change your equipment, you know, it's going to cost you you know, potentially thousands of pounds and dollars these days. Just trying to find out which golf ball best suits your game, I think is well worthwhile. Do you agree?
1: There totally. Goes. I just think the exercise that we did, we put a good couple of hours aside on Friday and it was well worth the result because I think you were so quite surprised. Uh, I I've have yeah, i not seen it that before was. from yeah. you of a bit like, oh wow, this has made a difference.
0: Yeah, I was totally surprised and 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 massively encouraged. And even though I ache today, um, and I wouldn't recommend three hours of hitting golf balls, two hours of hitting golf balls, flat out for sure. Um, you know, unless your body's more than capable of it, but definitely an exercise worth doing. And it's not just a case of whacking a few balls down a range, it is getting the data that you can really only get from GC Quad and, you know, the ball monitors are out there, but, you know, being able to track the ball and the club, you know, is absolutely critical when you're trying to get this kind of data. So, uh, you know, having that equipment available to me, um, you know, as part of the investment, I, you know, Andy Gorman Golf has put into your golf and your game as well. So uh, it's um, it's been an, an incredible hour. Um, You know, we've obviously talked about some apparel we've talked about the golf balls which is important a bit of tour talk and congrats to all the winners um, and all the um, tournaments that have been hosted over the last week or so Um, it's been great again Gareth I do appreciate your help and support I appreciate everybody's uh, from our audience every time you tune in um, we get a nice bit of encouragement from you and uh, if you can give us a like if you can like us on our different platforms obviously the podcast. Um, if you like what we do and you'd like to buy me a coffee, I'd gratefully share a coffee with you. So the link will be uh, at the bottom um, of the post. And uh, you can also find us available on uh, LinkedIn as well as on clubface golf clubface hyphen um, com. Have a look at that new app and uh, you'll see us on there and uh, we do have to run because we've got an appointment with the guys at Clubface uh, high from golf and um, you know yeah look and and see what's going on on there as well it's a golfing platform very similar to uh, Facebook but for golfers and um, you know we're available